It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit wonkish, a whole lot of fun. I'm David Schellenberg again, along with me, Rachel Oyster. Hello, Rachel. Hi, David. Co-chairs for Democrats Abroad in Canada's capital region here in Ottawa. Rachel, it's, it's winter in Ottawa. It's beautiful. It is beautiful, actually. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. It's winter in Ottawa. And <laughs> some, some people are like, where's spring? But others are out there enjoying the snow and the ice. And Well, yeah. one of the nice things about Ottawa, I always find, is we do have sort of the Disney seasons. Like, winter is is dark and cold and very snowy, and there's people ice skating all over the place, and, and spring will come along, and little flowers, tulips will pop up all over the city, and summer will be nice and hot, and fall has, of course, the beautiful maple leaves, and it is it is truly one of the... The changes of the season for me is one of the things I love about this city. I've never thought about it as the Disney World of Seasons, but you're absolutely right. It is. <laughs> yes. You think, you think of people who live in places where it's like hottish and coolish and like, oh, you have no yeah. idea how it is. And and there's something about this this stretch of winter in, in a, a stretch where time just seems to have stopped. It's like, I get the feeling we are moving forward. Things are happening. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Yeah, no, we have the quintessential seasons and apparently the widest temperature range of any national capital. Well, yay us. <laughs> <laughs> Who's with us today, Rachel? Well, today we begin. <laughs> they're already laughing. Welcome, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> today we begin an exploration of Democrats Abroad's global caucuses, something we haven't really looked at before. And we are kicking this off with the Global Women's Caucus. So today we welcome the co-chairs, Anne Hesse and Christina Skovsgaard. Hello, ladies. Hi, um, I'm Anne Hesse and I chair the Global Women's Caucus and I'm so glad to be here with you all today. It's really exciting and I've already learned so much about Canada and your seasons. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, I live in Germany, and so we, don't, we our seasons aren't so lovely the way you described it. I'm really envious, but we have snow too. So, yeah. Well, you'll just have to come visit us sometime in the winter and skate on the Rideau Canal. Mm. <laughs> and hello, Christina. Yeah, hello. I'm Christina Skovsgard, and I live in Oslo, Norway, where we certainly do have winter. But yes, you do. I know, but it's getting better because it's almost three hours lighter than it was during the winter equinox so it has really improved so and my position my position on the global women's caucus is to um as a volunteer coordinator so my job is to find the volunteers in this 100 percent volunteer organization wonderful thank you okay i, I called you co-chair so that's incorrect and is the chair and you are the volunteer coordinator correct Wonderful. So before we plunge into the Women's Caucus, we like to ask our guests, what states do you vote out of? And uh, I'm a Californian. I'm a homesick San Franciscan. <laughs> I know when you were talking about four seasons, I thought, oh, yeah, California is one of those places where we basically just have two. <laughs> so, yeah, the questions are where uh, where did you grow up? Where do you vote out of? What And uh, where do you live now? So you've almost. Ah. Yeah, uh, but I, um, what might be interesting to some of your listeners, I grew up in, in the San Francisco area, but since I've been in Germany, I live in, um, near Stuttgart, my family moved, but I still get to vote there because that's where I'm registered. So even though I haven't been home for years and years and years, and I never really lived at that address, I get to vote from there. So <laughs> that's interesting. A lot of people are not sure about whether they can do that, but yep, you can. 
Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's great. And Christina, what about you? Yeah, I I vote in the very important swing state of Ohio. Ah. I'm just across the lake from you guys, so I was stationed in Cleveland most of my life uh, from the age of eight until I went to college and moved back there after college for a while before I moved to Norway. So it's kind of called um, sometimes the mistake on the lake, but I think that's Cleveland has a, a, a reputation that it doesn't deserve. It's really a very culturally rich city. Uh, they're also known for the river that burned, but they turned that into something good because they made a beer called Burning River, and it's won all kinds of rewards. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I've actually heard that about Cleveland, like Baltimore, which is one of my several hometowns. It, it's a fabulous city that nobody nobody knows if that's the truth. So I think mm-hmm. Cleveland may be the same. Yeah. So, Anne, how did you end up in Germany, did you say? <laughs> yes, I'm in Germany. Well, hey, about uh, over 20 years ago, I came to Germany on a two-year contract with an opera company. And that two years grew into over 20 years because I married my conductor. <laughs> That's one way to, to keep having work. Well, inevitably I, find as we ask these questions, it's it's love is why people like, end up in these parts of the world. I yeah. know. I never planned on living, staying in Germany. I just thought, you know, a little decoration on my resume, a little European credits on my opera career would look good and I got stuck. <laughs> stuck. <laughs> Tell your husband you're I, stuck. Is that no, what you said? No, no, no. I have two wonderful children both born in Germany, both American citizens and voting from abroad. Great. Another, another case of um, Americans who are allowed to vote even though they've never, they were not born in California. So have to keep stressing that, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's true of my younger son who was bo- born in Ottawa, who mm. votes out of the address that his dad and I lived at before we moved to Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Christina, how did you end up in Norway? Well, I'm not going to come up with an original story. I fell in front of um, my, a very cute ski instructor who was... Uh, <laughs> who was studying in Cleveland. So uh, he picked me up. I always say he picked me up in more ways than one. And there there, there the story goes. So uh, I was the person that Pete Nardi was referring to when they said, well, what do you like about Norway? And the person answered, well, I like my husband. That was me. (laughs) That's a great story. we, We ended up coming Immigrating back to Norway. Actually, we didn't. I was just telling that to Anne. We didn't really make a conscious decision. We just came here one summer and never returned. Yeah. Yeah. That happens to a lot of us, too. Right. Mm. Interesting. All right. Shall we talk about the Women's Caucus? (laughs) Oh, please. I love it. My favorite topic. (laughs) So when there's a DA member that you think might not know anything about it, what what would you say to them? Mm -hmm. Well... Um, a lot of people don't even know what the word caucus means. They, they don't even know what a caucus is. Right. And um, so I, I would start with saying we're, we're a, an, or a group of people who are interested in our particular issues. And I always feel like the, the very best starting place for uh, the entry point for so many Democrats abroad members is through the caucuses because people 
people become political because of issues that move them and not because they want to get out the vote or something like that. Right. We end up employing everybody to get out the vote at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you man that phone bank. But <laughs> they come in because of the really pressing issues that 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 weigh upon us and and so that's what the caucuses do we have uh eight eight uh da caucuses now all addressing these different issues and of course we intersect all the time there's so many and especially one of the reasons the women's caucus is the largest of our global caucuses is because there are women in every single caucus right um, so uh, there's a, quite a lot of intersection and we have um, leaders from the other caucuses on our Global Women's Caucus Steering Committee as well. So we're all all trying to be on the same page anyway. But um, yeah, uh, Christina was present for the birth of the caucus. I came in a few years after the establishment of the caucus. Um, I guess I'm the second chair or so of the group. But um, uh, the first meeting we had that I recall was in uh, 2015 when a woman called named um, Christine Moritz was the chair of the Global Women's Caucus. But it was just starting, and we really didn't have much of an agenda quite yet. It wasn't really until Anne took over and really organized us that <laughs> we really started moving. <laughs> was it? I don't. Was it? Were there caucuses already, or was it one of the first that was founded in DA? It was the first global caucus. There were some small caucuses at the country level. Uh -huh. Fran France had a women's caucus, and I think the Netherlands had an LGBT caucus, and there were a few like that. But, um, uh, yeah, the, the women led the way in creating an, a, a global caucus. And, again, I think it's because, the, again, there are women – you know, women's issues are everybody's issues, and I think that's why and – and the numbers were there, the very strong numbers – um, right. So what catalyzed the formation of it, Christina? Do you remember how? Uh, yeah, I, I think it was, you know, I wasn't that active at that particular point, but I remember Christine talking an awful lot about um, reproductive justice and uh, uh, the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm -hmm. These were very big issues for her. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a catalyst for the starting of the uh, caucuses. And, and what do you know? We're still thinking about those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what, I was, that's what I was thinking, too. When you say women's issues are, are everybody's issues, we, to ask a, a stupid question. So what are examples of some of those issues? Well, of course, the the ERA, we, we have been saying for a long time that the ERA is something that is as beneficial to men as it is for women. Mm -hmm. if, um, if you have women equally pulling in salary and, and helping to pull the family wagon, so to speak, it's better for everybody. It's better for the, the, the men in the world and it's better for their children. There, um, so that's definitely an issue. I, I, my husband is a big proponent of the ERA, too, because he's got two daughters and he wants them to have equality in the world as well. So it's his issue too. Reproductive justice always um, involves two. Climate is another big issue for us. We have a women and climate action team. Mm -hmm. um, that That's everybody's problem. But of course, women are affected um, by climate change more than others. Um, uh, yeah, so those are a few of the issues. Um, Christina has her finger on the pulse of all our action teams. Maybe she can tell you about the action teams themselves. What right. wonderful organized at some point. Well, we, the other ones that we have, we have one called Books Abroad. So they meet once every 
every four months and discuss a book uh, uh, regarding female literature. Uh, Our last one was Cast. So I don't know if you've heard of the book, but um, it was very broad, interesting. And um, the next and newest team that we have is Violence Against Women. And this is just, we're just starting it up. And one of the reasons we're starting that team up is because the Violence Against Women's Act, which was passed under the Clinton administration, Expired. I didn't know laws could uh-huh. expire. And by that, the way, it was written by Biden. Biden wrote it. Didn't oh, wow. Right. That's I didn't cool. know that laws could expire, but they do. Yeah. So, um, and it's hard to believe, but the people that are obstructing this is the NRA and the Republican legislatures. They do not want it to uh, be reinstated in, in its full capacity. Yet women are raped every two minutes in the United States. Mm-hmm. 20,000 calls every day to domestic hotlines. And one in nine children experience uh, sexual assault at the hands of an adult. Wow. So this is a very, very important thing. So we have started working on this and we're going to be looking at the uh, bill also from the standpoint of women abroad. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I have a very good example of how it can affect people mm-hmm. that live abroad. Now, this is kind of a, an unusual antidote. My son, when he, he leaves often for vacation, being a young family with quite a few children, they often rent their apartment out. So one year they rented it out to a, a woman in Saudi Arabia, and she was supposed to arrive, and she didn't. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what happened. So she arrives the next day, and I said, what happened to you? And she said, you know, when I got to the airport, this is an American woman married to an American man. When she got to the airport, they would not let her board the plane without a note or permission from her husband. Oh, Oh, boy. Yeah. So she had to go home, (laughs) change her ticket, bring bring her husband to the airport the next day, and she was allowed to board the plane. Oh my but I mean, goodness. this is just this is now. This is not even having to do with anything with violence. But we 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 see that women are in precarious positions all over the world, right. and we want them also to be included. How, how many action teams do we have, Christina? And what what do they do? We have seven teams. The first one is communications, and their job is to help publish the newsletter and post things on Facebook. And they help us a lot with uh, logos and making everything look nice. So they're very, very important. Right. Uh, then we have the Equal Rights Amendment team. And some people were wondering, well, should we get involved in that? But we have gotten heavily involved to, in it because of Sherry Temple. And she's mm-hmm. working very closely with all the legislation that's constantly being updated in the United States. So we're very engaged in that particular uh, amendment. Then we have the reproductive justice team, who is very much looking at um, the abortion laws and how they are changing mm-hmm. in some states and how the women are being threatened. And we are also very focused on trying to make sure that uh, contraception is available and available to young people. Mm-hmm. And then there's our climate action team. Because everybody in the world has to breathe and, eat. <laughs> and, and, um, and drink the water. <laughs> and drink the water. Yeah. So, uh, and it's important to everyone, not just women. And then we have our books abroad. Uh, 
who deal with feminist literature. And then we have the team that I was talking about, the Violence Against Women, which is our newest that's amazing. That's I, I'd like to mention what, what we do. Our teams do research on these topics and they track legislation and we do a big educational and informational push as well for our members so they know what's going on. And when it's necessary, we develop some activist toolkits and what I call events in the box. So it is like a whole event in a, like, like delivered like a pizza. The Global Women's Caucus <laughs> creates these events and so caucus um, smaller caucus groups and even individual members can get together and, and take out the, the event pizza and put it in the microwave and they've got <laughs> and it, you know, it, it's an image they can they can repeat this event because we're in every time zone and it's impossible to do one event that everybody can attend and it's wonderful to have these materials available for all our members to access to to enjoy to to elaborate on they're welcome to upload more things for us and they use our discussion questions and and um we do teach-ins and things like that at this at, um, in this kind of a context and so that's been very successful and for women's history month which is next month um we have a beautiful wonderful team working on new materials a whole library of uh, materials uh, events on uh, in a box and uh, toolkits that they'll have so that's something we do and of course when it, when the time comes we help to get out the vote because the bottom line on all of this all of this is that uh, we can't go very far without blue votes without our our people sitting in those seats in the legislature as we can tell right now so that's what we do that's why we have these teams and because there are so many issues we've divided up the issues among these different teams and each team is led by an expert in her field i'm not an expert in any of these fields <laughs> to be honest <laughs> <laughs> because I, we, Rachel and I were discussing, we come from a theater background and I see myself a little bit like the conductor. A conductor doesn't know how to play the violin, mm-hmm. but he has an idea and he can't play the tuba, but um, he, he knows how to pull it all together. And, and so even though I'm not an expert in reproductive justice or any of these things, um, I feel like I'm trying very hard to get the orchestra to play together. Right, yeah. right. And there's one, one other team, which we... Oh, it is the, the candidate information team, which has been very essential prior to the election. And um, our leader there, she contacted a lot of the women that were running in races uh, in that were not necessarily so well known. So they were congressional races primarily, and it was to make our members aware of these candidates. And they will be continuing to work uh, uh, with candidates coming forward. That's right. That was an important point in why we chose those kinds of candidates, because we felt that at the national level, the real um, shiny national candidates were getting enough uh, news around them, enough press, uh, all the, the women presidential candidates, for example. Mm-hmm. But we, we wanted to put the spotlight on more local congressional candidates because okay. we think we see how important they are and it's something that our caucus was able to do is to fill that gap where nobody else was having these women on a, a, a forum on a panel discussion we had them and some of them won <laughs> yeah well there's definitely something about uh, finding the 
new people and giving them a little bit of publicity early on because they do become the leaders eventually. And, and, and sometimes we spend too much time looking at the stars and not enough at the up and comers. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's and we have learned our lesson be, be, um, in years past when we don't have the depth at the state level that we needed. Um, For when right. the time comes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, March is Women's History Month. And, and, uh, and you had mentioned the ERA earlier. So I guess just to follow up on that briefly, mm. uh, ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, is still a proposed amendment. Um, so when we talk about the history of women, can you give us a little bit of a history lesson on, on what that is and why it's so stuck? When it was introduced, it wasn't a, a partisan issue. In fact, uh, again, I'm going to uh, refer to Christina because she's on the team. She's on the ERA team. You, oh, um, perfect. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I think Christi- Christina could give you the, I told you I'm not the expert. <laughs> no, um, you were the one that mentioned it. So that's why I asked you, but yeah. I don't know which section to point to. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly, Rachel. And, uh, and now it's time for the ERA string section. Uh, <laughs> oh, there, there are many aspects of the ERA that are very complicated. I'm not the absolute expert on it. Sherry Temple is. But at any rate, what it boils down to is that it had a pass in 37 states to make it, um, or 38 states to make it global, not global, national, and uh, to put it into the Constitution. But the fact of the matter is it only passed in 37, and that's only occurred recently that it passed in several other states. And then the archivist was not willing to, the man who's supposed to write it into the Constitution, that these things passed, was unwilling to put it in there because he felt that they, there was a deadline. Because when they first... Um, so what year this, would that have been in? Uh, what the deadline was back in the 80s. Right. So they're saying, the new people are saying that deadline is passed. There's legislation in the Congress saying that uh, we should disregard the deadline. That really wasn't an important point. Right. Number mm-hmm. one. That that was just an artificially placed there. So now we have gotten 38 states that have actually voted to put uh, the Equal Rights Amendment in their, in their Constitution. So now we have to get into the federal Constitution. Yeah. So that, that's at the stage we are right now. Uh, so, are there also states trying to backtrack on having approved it as well? Well, there there were several states that actually, I don't have my notes in front of me, but, no, <laughs> but um, there were several states that actually said, oh, no, we're going to rescind it. Yes. No, but you, they weren't allowed to do that, apparently. Oh, you can't rescind right. a vote. No. Cool. Okay. So we, the Equal Rights Amendment right now has been passed in 38 states. We're waiting for that archivist to either be replaced <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> right? Then, well, that's a possibility. Yes, it I could, agree. It yeah. could happen. Yeah. It, yep. it could happen. Biden's working real fast. He's, he's right. uh, so the cleaning house. He is. Uh, so he mm. can get into the Constitution. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And right. we're still working on trying to get the other states like South Carolina and North Carolina. No, I mean, North Carolina to pass it. So there are still several states that have not passed it, mm-hmm. mostly the southern states. Right. I, I would interject that um, in order to try to make this happen, as I said, we were looking for our candidate information uh, panel discussions, our Zoom discussions. We were looking at state level and we identified Arizona 
as one of those states that could pass the ERA if they had the legislature um, turn blue. And so we invited every single blue woman candidate from Arizona onto a panel discussion. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Mm. A lot of them came very close, but that's the kind of uh, connection between our issue and what we do about it. Right. We have this issue and we try to make it happen. We tried to make movement in the, at the state level in the legislature there so that it would happen. It, but we're not done yet. We're just, no. well, <laughs> one, of the magic, one of the magic things about Democrats abroad is that we touch all the states. Like, there's... It's wonderful. Yeah. And we, then of course, yeah, we, we have on occasion sent, um, uh, our, our calls to action, calls to action to specific members, our members of the uh, women's caucus who vote in this or that state. Arizona women were especially alerted to this um, discussion, and and when it when it comes to some of our calls to action, like postcard writing or call storms or or something like that, we are able to target our own members with these alert mails, which mm-hmm. Um, which mm-hmm. we we get a very good reaction from. These people, by the way, are opting in to the mails and it's, so it's I, it's not an annoyance it's some it's a way they can help it's an interest yeah yeah they say oh yes i, I want to be an activist it's an easy way to be an activist actually it's true so do you want to well, talk a little bit about the relationship between the global women's caucus and the country committee caucuses i would just like to finish off oh, sure ERA. um you know well you asked about the dates and uh it was actually originally put up in 71 and put to the Senate in 72. Yeah. And then the original set for the ratification deadline was in March of 79. So this has been going on for an awful long time. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 1977, 35 of the necessary states had already ratified it. Wow. So we've had recently the other three states come in. Wow. And we're still waiting, as I said, for it to be you now placed into the constitution mm-hmm. well and that's what amazes me because i I've, I've been hearing this discussion my entire life and i just sort of feel like aren't we done isn't hasn't this amendment been passed and no it hasn't well we can blame john adams uh, who didn't listen to his wife <laughs> <laughs> why can we blame john adams yes, tell, well, tell us adams, abigail adams said to remember the women and he forgot this. So we've been working on this long before 1971. Yes. Cause he yeah. just didn't think to put that in the constitution right at the beginning. And, and right. Right. No, they thought it was implied. It was, they thought it was implied. Right. Oh, it really? Okay. Well, in yeah. fact, I remember being very young and hearing my mother talk about that it's a related thing. My grandfather was a judge and my mother's position was you having learned from him, you don't create legislation that duplicates something that already exists. And to her mind, the constitution already acknowledged women as being equal to men. But um, it, it didn't take her many years to come around to the other point of view, but that was her initial reaction. Why do we need this? We're already protected. Right. Well, if, if if I understand it correctly, it was actually um, the Republicans who um, were backing the the legislation back in the seventies. Interesting. I'm, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't at all a partisan issue. And um, I'm I Christina was it the Nixon administration? Right, right. I I think it was. Yeah, it was. So, yes, it was. And it was a nonpartisan issue. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I don't understand how it became partisan. But, you know, so often they, everything goes back again very often to uh, the abortion rights. So where somehow they want to connect abortion with the ERA, even though they're totally unrelated issues. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It's, they're both it's, women's it's, issues. <laughs> I, I was about to say, it, it, it's, it's about the patriarchy. It's exactly. all about the patriarchy. <laughs> yes. You know, don't give those women any more power than they already have. My goodness. <laughs> Oh, think of the trouble we'll be in. <laughs> I know. Imagine if the other half of the world had as much power as the ones who are in power now. <laughs> Heaven forbid. So, Crazy yeah, times. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a power issue. It's, they, they, you know, it's, it's about the patriarchy. It's about power. So mm. anyway, we have well, a lot of work to do in the future. That's what I said. Well, it's interesting about that. Um, a sort of little bit of situation here in in Ottawa. So Rachel and I are the co-chairs, and mm-hmm. and my my term is up, but because of the way that that our rules are written, it has to be an individual who is not a uh, or who is a male who will become the other mm-hmm. co-chair, and we're having a hard time finding an, an individual who identifies as a male who wants to be the co-chair so or non-binary but yeah i mean the, the fact is most of our active volunteers are women we have exactly that same problem in germany in da germany as well it is yeah we've had that exact situation where there are five or six very qualified women waiting in line and everybody's looking under the chairs looking for a guy for a guy <laughs> yeah although it, i have to say i won't be sorry if david has to step in again but <laughs> but but it is it is an interesting imbalance. Mm-hmm. It, it, but it is an anomaly. It, it typically it's the women who are in the in the minority. It's just a DA thing. I don't know why. Do you know why? I don't know. It's, it's a fact. It, it happens in some spheres. I'm also a children's writer, and mm-hmm. the world of children's literature is predominantly female. Not entirely, but at least the people you see at conferences mostly women. Hmm. Yeah. So I think it. Yeah, <laughs> it's well. Really as an opera singer, I never had to compete with a guy. I no, <laughs> although there's some really amazing countertenors. <laughs> not my, not my range. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I don't even know what a countertenor okay. is. <laughs> oh. All right. You want to ask me about, I don't know, ask me about my plans or where where our caucus is going. Well, I am interested in the the relationship between the Global Women's Caucus and the Country Committee Women's Caucus. Right. You know, that is an important issue. Rachel, you put your finger on my primary job for this year. Oh, my goodness. How did I I do that? Yes, because I I will admit, I don't feel like that... um, is working as well as it could. Hmm. Um, I, I, I feel like the Global Women's Caucus is generating a lot of um, material, a lot of action. We're, uh, to, to continue the pizza metaphor, we're very busy in our pizza kitchen producing <laughs> pizza all the time, but it's not <laughs> always getting to the customer, right? Interesting. The, the country level, the, especially the chapter level. And because we have a lot on our plate and um, we have our, Christina is our, our volunteer coordinator and is pulling in more volunteers. Part of it is a lack of volunteers, which means, you know, we're all doing multiple jobs, but um, we are making an effort this year since it's not an election year 
our um, focus this year especially will be on our own membership and our own organization and building up the country level caucuses, the women's caucus. That's my goal um, for for the, the coming year. We have just about a year to do it and then we have to uh, go back into GOTV, get out the vote gear. Exactly. That's but really I, interesting. Yeah, I want to I want to um, make that connection between the, the global and the country level a little better, it, especially since we're all online all the time. There, there was a time when um, there was no where coordination was very difficult because everyone was doing live events and the, the time zones, you know, it, it was you couldn't fly to all these events. But now we could. So mm-hmm. true. Yeah. In one way, that's how COVID has also helped us Mm -hmm. with this virus, that we've gotten used to doing things online. So um, Anne and I were just talking about we have an overwhelming amount of of, um, caucus meetings, almost to the point of like, I can't say it's too much, but there is an awful lot because people realize that this is a media that they can now use. Mm -hmm. We can Zoom. Every day, if you want. (laughs) If you want. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You can go into uh, Democrats Abroad and look under events, and you'll find all the events that are going on in Democrats Abroad. That's right. And and they're eligible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're yeah. really only limited by time zone. <laughs> exactly. Instead of instead of thinking at the country level, the country committee level, you you think in time zone. Which time zone it, it works for me? Right. But I think there is, you know, there. I think globally, we're all exhausted with uh, with online meetings because m- those of us who are also working yeah. from home, I, I I do my day job, and it's also online all the time. Unfortunately, so. yeah, yeah, there is definitely a fatigue associated with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the other hand, it, it has gotten people to connect in a way that we wouldn't have been able to, since we many of us can't leave our homes, true, or, or, or leave our home for a limited period of time. That, yeah, that's right. And thank goodness for that. And we have, and I think um, Christina can probably confirm this, but our, our volunteer pool has grown quite a lot because people find themselves at home. And even though they have children at, at home or they're working from home, they can find a, a, a precious little slice of their time pie to donate to us, <laughs> you know, because they're home anyway. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, it's true. From pizza's <laughs> to pies yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I have this thing about food i don't know oh i love it yes keep using these uh, these comparisons yeah we just, we just put out a call for volunteers um, a couple of weeks ago and we immediately got like 42 people wow um, yeah exactly so we, and we sometimes I get overwhelmed by the number of highly competent women that we have. And you could say, well, why am I overwhelmed? I'm talking about, you know, an author who's been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize mm-hmm. or an, um, a- and another woman studying for her Ph.D. And her thesis is going to be on contraception in the 20th century in female literature. I mean, uh-huh. just amazing things that these uh, women are doing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, yeah. I- so we're getting some extremely talented people. And I, so that's I, why I get, it's almost overwhelming because I think, oh my goodness, these are such competent I, people. I would love to 
praise our the diversity of our volunteers at, at this point because as Chris, Christina said, we get some really high-powered experts and real uh, amazing people or, or retired professionals who have been at their fancy, you know, high-paying careers for many years. And then they're, they're willing to share this experience and share their networking skills and make those phone calls for us. But at the same time, another thing that we can really help with, and I think COVID has caused a lot of this, we are getting some amazing, really fresh graduates with their shiny new degrees, fresh out of some f- wonderful university. Right. They're, they're looking for their first <laughs> chance to sort of dig in and prove themselves, uh, you know, make a few lines for their resume. But they have those cutting edge skills and, and this knowledge of the real world that some of our retired experts don't have. That's and amazing. So yeah. I like I like to put those kinds of people together in teams so that the, this senior seasoned professional woman is 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 mentoring essentially some of these young, really brilliant young people. So sure. it, it works beautifully. But yeah. maybe being mentored in turn by them when it comes to their digital engagement or something oh, like that. Oh, you've got it. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, some of my lovely expert women really don't know how to write a mail of their own. <laughs> they, they literally are, they're used to having staff and, and I, 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 I won't divulge some of the insecurities that some of these women have shared with me. <laughs> But make me immediately curious. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, the digital world is still the, a, a new frontier for some of these expert women. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's wonderful to pair them with some hotshot young PhD student from Oxford or Harvard or something like that. It really works well. Fabulous. So what about the participation of men? I know there are men who belong to the Women's Caucus. So what do you, how active do they become? I, I would like more. We have a few. They, um, I have to say during all those uh, women's marches, you always saw the guys supporting. There are lots of guys in our marches. And they were often carrying the purses and the, and the coats and the, the, the water bottles and the backpacks and things, but they were or there. The babies. Right? Yeah. Or the babies. Pushing the strollers, exactly. Uh, we, we do have men, and I would I, I have, we mentioned that there are, uh, that all issues are women's issues and that we have these action teams. There's an an action team that I have been talking about with one of the men in our group. I, um, since, since it's still just in the, uh, theoretical stage, I won't mention who it is, but, um, I don't know if you've heard of an organization called he for she, which I think Emma Watson is, is part of this this um, person I've been talking to is interested in some kind of a uh, um, um, mentoring program for boys about um, women's issues and and helping with that side of it the the um, men mentoring boys or men helping men or discussion groups there's some really great organizations that he's called my attention to um, where there are men, male groups discussing how, how can we help? And, and and in fact, discussing exactly the points we've been um, touching on about why should the ERA matter to guys? Mm. And what's the big deal about the violence against women? Um, You know, how should I be involved in that? And how can I be an ally? Um, So that is, we don't know what to call the group. Maybe somebody on this, this, 
in this conversation can help me name it, but it's, that is, I, I don't know, you know, being an ally or he for she is a kind of a catchy name. Anyway, the, that's one of the things that I'd, I would like to expand on. I mentioned that membership and working on our own group is part of my goal. Um, my New Year's resolution is to turn my attention to our organization itself. And um, that's one of, that's on my to-do list to try and get more men involved in our group. That sounds fabulous. One of my little um, New Year's resolution is also to try to find more uh, male volunteers. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Strangely enough, they don't so much um, write to us, but I can try to solicit some, Ah. which I have done. And um, it's good that we do get men involved. Because well, it's it interesting goes. with the caucuses because, especially if you're if you come in as a new DA member, and you see these caucuses, it's easy to think, "Oh, that's for women," or "I can't belong to the Black Caucus because I'm not black." But right. my first national meeting, Angela Fobbs, the chair of the Black Caucus, um, I don't remember what she was talking about. Maybe she was just introducing the caucus to the meeting, but she explicitly said, "We want everyone to join." Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm, I'm, I assume that's true for most of the caucuses, but it's easy to be intimidated by the idea that I don't belong. I was even invited to join the youth caucus recently. <laughs> no, I'm way past the age, but that's absolutely true. It, if you're not in that um, that particular um, group, you you can be an ally. I'm learning to be an ally within the Black Caucus. I am a member of the Black Caucus. And we had a fabulous event um, a while back on how to be, the, the title of my of my presentation was how to be an ally. Right. And, and um, that is so important because nobody yeah. can do it by themselves. I'm a member of the LGBT caucus and um, we're, <laughs> except for COVID, we had planned a wonderful event um, around women in the LGBT movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, rainbow families and that sort of thing really really interesting we didn't get to do it but we're hoping maybe next year (laughs) or we'll we'll do it online if we have to we'll do it online but (laughs) no i have high hopes for 2022 a lot of this stuff will be back on track yeah so um, but there'll definitely be a a a pizza (laughs) an event event in the box on that topic (laughs) because because to be serious for a moment, um, there are some issues that are not well discussed online on a giant Zoom conference with 100 people. No, not at all. Some topics we we are so sensitive that we want small groups, preferably live, but if it has to be, then at least smaller local uh, online conversations. And we feel that some of the topics we want to discuss within this um uh, rainbow families and and um, the, the coming out and the you know how how do the parents support that especially if one parent is in on it and the other's not there's a lot mm. of issues to discuss and we felt that in person conversations would would be the best way to go there that that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely is there anything either of you would like to touch on that we haven't gotten to? I, I was going to mention a new project that we're uh, cooking up <laughs> in our kitchen. <laughs> 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 that we, we, we mentioned the whole thing about um, our action teams and what they're doing with all of their events. Um, what we're 
hoping to address as well is a little bit more input on the actual policy making that goes on because i i've since the beginning i've been a believer that all of us as democrats abroad members are are part of a really a, a vast laboratory of policy experiments in all our host countries we're we're real life experts on on a, a myriad really of of different ways that other countries are trying to address the same set of problems. Yes, and absolutely. So I, mm-hmm. so I feel that makes us a really valuable resource to our own policymakers at home who are writing the legislation. So um, we're hoping to start a, a project where we'll be pulling in the stories and the and the, the testimonies, so to speak, from our members on various issues. Like, how is this country dealing with um, equal rights or, or any of our issues, uh, the, the whole long list of our issues? And um, uh, we'd like to package those for our legislators. And in support of our legislators, especially the women that we're getting to know through our, our um, events, um, we'll be tracking that legislation as well. And um, we're hoping to have input on the on the policy making input on the legislation through these these stories and and the ability to testify if we need to and then we'll be tracking tracking legislation and um and standing ready for support with call storms or postcard writing or whatever else or hosting panel discussions whatever our team of blue women legislators in Congress need from us. But that's a new thing. And um, that's something we're going to go for this year. We're going to give it a try. That's fabulous. Yeah. 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 I'm fortunate that I live in a country where women are um, probably next to Iceland considered to be the most equal to men. And it shows in the government because when they got Guhar Brutman in the 80s to uh, have almost an all-female cabinet, that's when many of the rules were changed. Long maternity leaves became an actuality. And um, now men have almost equal maternity leave to to the women. So um, it's an advantage for everyone. And uh, Norway is a perfect example of how um, supporting women supports the entire family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing, and, and, our, and, and we're in so many countries. We have so much to to uh, explain and, and input. And some of our countries are not doing so well. Right. Germany, Germany is making some. They they had a lot of goals, a lot of fancy goals for the climate, and they're stumbling here and there. And mm-hmm. I would like our members to be able to have some input on where Germany is stumbling, and maybe we can the with our U.S. legislation, maybe we can avoid some of those. Um, yes, that, that global knowledge of things that, that the reason why it didn't work. And let's let's mm-hmm. share that with each other. Right. Yeah. Some things work and some things don't. That's why I call it a laboratory. It's an yep. experiment. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking of food. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Yeah, I know. Lunch? Is it lunchtime? Um, food is so important. <laughs> we, we do have blogs also in our Global Women's Caucus. And I believe the... Um, um, climate action team is going to be starting a blog. They're not going to try to convince people to become vegetarians, but to reduce their meat consumption. Right. So they'll be coming up with sort of like little cookbooks and some ideas of what you can do of preparing uh, meatless meals. So that's something to look forward to. Well, Definitely. Yeah. Now, before we wrap this up, uh, has everybody said everything they need to say? 
Well, I would just like to add that we also have a lot of fun in the Global Women's Caucus. (laughs) We do. We do. They've become my best friends. That's true. We even had a little skit once when we were in Athens. We all portrayed a goddess. And, and related it to our um, our role in Democrats Abroad. Right. I love that. Uh, Which, one of our one of our women who is a writer uh, wrote a script um, entitled "The Goddesses Were the First Feminists," and it was hysterical. It was a comedy, and we performed it. Very funny, um, and it's true. Those those goddesses really had it on the men. They gave them, you know, the a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah. which goddesses did you two portray? <laughs> I have to know. Oh, you know, I was the goddess of Mother Nature. Uh-uh. Um, so, yes, so I, was, I was the moderator. <laughs> I didn't get to be a goddess. You were in the conductor role uh, again. Exactly, Rachel. I was, the, I was the conductor, but we the we had goddess of moderation. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, the goddess of moderation. There you go. <laughs> but it's true. From from the from the stories of these goddesses, you can really see they were very strong women. They, Absolutely. When we get together, we have a good time. Yeah, that's that's yeah, what it, it should it, be. It's not all work. And, well, the tone is set at the top. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I like to have fun, so yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so clearly you do. All right. And all right. it really, I just have to say, we all know that Democrats Abroad is a, a 100% volunteer organization. And for all of us, this really, truly is a labor of love, isn't it? We give our time, we give our energy in this labor of love. And it's, it might sound corny to say so, but it's because we believe we can create a better world. Yes. That's it. That's why we do all of this. And it's fun. And Christina, thank you so much for a really delightful and fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Rachel Oyster with David Chellenberg in Ottawa, Canada. Thank you for listening to Democrats Abroad, the Blue Vote Cafe. 